0: Get up, get out of bed, fill your cup
1: and get ahead with WKGN. Oh. Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville.
0: Back in the booth, back on the airwaves, coming at you live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios on this Thursday, January 11th. It is the Fan Run Radio Morning Show. I'm John Reed, joined by Bob Baskerville, produced by Sam Beard. Hope you're having a great Thursday morning. Got a lot to talk about, or at least two very important things to talk about as the college football landscape has been permanently changed. And Tennessee basketball has taken a loss. But before we get to that, I'll check in
2: with my friend Bob. How are you this morning? I'm good. Good morning, both of you. Good morning to the listeners. It's getting a little easier getting up each day. Don't know if you agree, but I'm in a rhythm now, baby. We're good to go now. Starting to feel uh, it's kind of normalized. So now if we could just have it be warmer than eight degrees or whatever it feels like outside yeah that'd be good
0: i'm trying not to complain about this week because i know next week is going to be so bad but i yeah i know i was thinking whenever i got out to unlock the gate i was like man i doing this 30 degrees colder is going to uh, hurt next week so sam uh, you're in charge of those those days next week okay okay (laughs) i'll make sure to bring my gloves yeah you get here and unlock the gate for me please thank you how are you this morning i'm doing
3: well doing well um yeah you know i had a Eventful day yesterday, obviously, in sports, a lot to get into in this show, but, yeah, I'm feeling good this morning. Like Bob said, I think that wake-up's getting a little bit easier. You know, you're not you're not turning over in the morning being like, oh, man, I'm waking up at 5.30 still. You know, I, I think it's more of a groove. Excited to get into the into the studio kind of each morning once I get going. It's like 10 or 15 minutes of kind of that slow, still asleep, but then after that I'm good.
0: My only complaint, or my main complaint, I guess I should say, is just, it's cut into my, my movie time. It's, caught, it's, caught in, it's cut into my TV watching time, you know, in terms of non-sport stuff because you get home, you eat, it's around 6, 6.15, and then, yeah, like it's uh, it's time to watch the sporting events of the night to be informed to then come and do the morning show. I could, I could kind of, you know, spread that out whenever I was doing noon, but now that's been the main issue. But the big story of the day, Bob, what do you think it is? Is it Nick Saban, is it Tennessee basketball because we are in Knoxville?
2: Well, for me, I mean, they're, they're both big. I think Tennessee basketball is the bigger one. It's just um, – Really? Yeah. I mean, Saban, look, as I just posted on X, it's like um, last night you could look at it one of two ways. It was it a rough night, or was maybe it was a good night based on the news we heard earlier in the day yesterday. Um, it would have been – Breaking fi- news. Hold on.
0: I hate to cut you off, but this is another one. The GOAT of the NFL, maybe. Bill Belichick, gone from New England. Just wow. coming across right now, so add that wow. to the list. Just coming out for me in Rappaport. So, wake up with us here on Fan Run Radio, because we are saying goodbye to some legends and, and talking about a Tennessee basketball loss.
2: Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, I guess maybe I'm lamenting the fact that, God, if Tennessee had won last night, what a morning this would have been. This uh, It's still a good morning. We got a lot to cover, but... God, it would have been borderline celebration mode if uh, we had a Tennessee win. Um, Saban's out. Belichick, who I respect but wasn't a big fan of, he's out now. What a, what a morning it'd be! Crazy, you know. I, th- th- those two are kind of intertwined
0: in terms of Belichick and Saban. They used to coach together in the NFL, and Saban apparently coached with Belichick's dad. You know, back in the day, that's how they kind of got together and. For one to retire and the other kind of move on after, I believe, what, 24 years in New England. That's, uh, I guess, poetic in a way. We'll see what Bill Belichick's next phase is. Not to make it a Titans thing, but wish they'd have done that maybe two days ago. And then maybe the variable trade could have happened. But either way, <laughs> I digress. But yeah, okay, so you think it's Tennessee basketball. You think that's the biggest story. Going to Mississippi State, it, it kind of played out like like we were afraid of in terms of Slow start, digging yourself into a hole. It was my worst nightmare in terms of, you know, I said if Tennessee loses that game, it's going to be ugly, right? It's going to be one that you got rolled up in the mud and you couldn't score and you had 22 points at halftime. You're like, what the hell are we doing? Then the second half, you caught, I don't want to say fire, but you, you actually started hitting shots and you started playing fast and you made the comeback from 15 points down, tied the game, and then you know, just couldn't couldn't get that final stop and that final bucket. The uh, you know, you give up the and one at the very end to lose. Then on your possession, you, you take a deep shot from Zaka and and then connect. Maybe gets fouled, doesn't get the call, loses the ball, turns it over. Mississippi State runs out, dunks it, and Tennessee loses.
2: It was. Uh... Yeah, it was. It was, uh, some of all fears. You know, I, I, I thought that, uh, as a matter of fact, there was one point in the first half where the announcer even said, you know, it's a five minute span where Tennessee hasn't scored a point. And I, I thought back to what we talked about yesterday. I think we were saying there's going to be at least one of those blocks in this game. Count on it. And sure enough, it happened in that first half. And, um, it was it was a tough one from the standpoint I I did there were things I saw in the second half that encouraged me of course connect bouncing back like that we needed to see that um uh if nothing else to just remind us that the guy clearly has game he you know was he was sputtering a little bit for a few games but um that was nice to see I actually loved seeing a traditional full court press happen and because that's what it was like born out of necessity but it it was just good to see. It was like probably what we as fans were thinking. It's like, how are we applying pressure? We've got to do it. Hey, they did it because there's so many times where we think as fans there's something the team should be doing and they don't, and it frustrates us. I think we did everything we could to get back into the game. What was inescapable was another thing we talked about yesterday, um, and we heard it from Ryan Shumpert earlier in the week. We heard it from Stats by Will yesterday. Mississippi State's physicality. Um, Tolu Smith had his way. Um, that was that was that was tough. That was that was tough to watch, and we knew that that could be a possibility. Um, but between him and Josh Hubbard, who is a true freshman, I'd never even heard of the dude. But man.
0: Jamal Car- Crawford reincarnated is what it looks like to me. Right. NBA fans that have watched him, the the high jump shot, the high, you know the release at the very top of a very high jump shot, the the layup package he had. It was very frustrating to watch him come in off the bench in 28 minutes, score 25 points. Like he actually outscored Tolu Smith, and that was a disappointing game from your bigs. We had talked about Awaka's defense. We had talked about Jonas going through the fire in November and December to get ready for that moment, and you know neither one were up to the task. I will say, I will say that I, I did not like the way the game was officiated. And it's not me complaining. It's not me blaming officiating. It's just me saying that, like, I think it took 19 minutes in the first half for a team to get in the bonus. I don't think Tennessee got into the bonus until the, you know, one minute left in the first half. Meanwhile, the second half seemed just like it was a foul every other possession. It seemed like they made the decision at half, hey, we're actually going to call it tight now. And my thing is, if you're going to let it be a street fight in the first half, let it be a street fight in the second half. Like, don't. That, that's all we ask for, I think, when it comes to officiating is consistency. Like we, we I think we understand that people aren't perfect, that mistakes are going to happen, you're not going to call everything properly, but just have the same philosophy. And to me, that that kind of hurt the second half. And there was a the really weird 10-second call that kind of robbed Tennessee of the tying layup on, a, on yeah. a Vescovy still. And, you know, you could say that didn't matter because Tennessee got the ball and they ended up scoring on a Dalton Connect dunk. But I would say that, like, the clock changed the pressure of it because if you tie the game with 48 seconds, then all of a sudden Mississippi State's playing a game of, well, do, do we go two for one? And, or do we allow Tennessee to maybe have a, a last shot, you know, with, with you know, 18 seconds, which is plenty of time to get a good look because otherwise it kind of happened where Tennessee was going to maybe have five seconds coming back. So, like, Mississippi State's easier to grind it out, get you in the post, take your time, and, and if Tolu Smith misses that shot at the rim, chances are Tennessee – maybe gets a rebound and is throwing up like a three at the end, you know, a runner. It changed the dynamic of the game as far as I was concerned at the end. But, yeah, it felt like the officiating was just a little uneven. Not saying Tennessee got screwed. Just saying, I hate when when there's inconsistency, and I felt like there was inconsistency last night.
2: I also thought that... I I, I was watching in the second half, and, I mean, we just talked about it a moment ago where it was great to see us put full-court pressure on, and we succeeded. But Mississippi State made some pretty um, unforgivable mistakes, too, you know. I mean, and I'd like to say our pressure created that, but I also think some of that was Mississippi State's errors of commission, if you will. And I think that that made me think while I was watching, like, man, Tennessee's going to win this. That's – I was – I was certain of it because, and so that makes it, that's what makes it hurt was making that entire, you know, making that rally, coming all the way back. There were good signs in the second half. They only, Tennessee only had four turnovers versus 10 in the first half, Um, but didn't close the deal. That's the part that's most frustrating because this team is that, that beat them last night, Mississippi State. We've talked about it. Good team, probably a tournament team, but still a team that Tennessee should be beating. There's just no question about it. So it was, it was, it was frustrating from that perspective. Um, but again, encouraging signs with uh, with Connect Zakai played well. Obviously, um, got got bad nights from our two seniors.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that after the yeah, break. And kind yeah. of Dive into those actual performances. But uh, do you ha- do you happen to know? What kind of sound a rat makes when it gets its neck broken in the trap? Because that's what happened for the Tennessee people that, that fell for the rat line last night. Is, is, it went into Mississippi State as only one and a half point favor. So, oh, okay, yep. let's go. And I mean, I, Sam, do you have a sound that a rat match today? <laughs> I got to get a close. I don't know up if we have that. any rat sounds on here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know. I That's don't know. your uh, farming background yeah. or something. I don't know. I've never. I've I don't.
0: Heard. I have a sound of a rat eating cheese, but not one of dying as Tennessee <laughs> let the, uh, the backers down. But we'll catch a break. We'll take your phone calls, 865-546-8200. If you want to weigh in on Tennessee basketball, or if you want to talk about Nick Saban or Bill Belichick, those are the stories of the day. Sam, send us to break. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Couple tweeters write in. No offense to Bob, but I will take a regular season road loss for the Vols if that's the price to pay for the enjoyment of saving retiring. (laughs) Another tweeter writes in. One loss in a long basketball season is not a bigger story than the greatest college basketball coach of all time retiring. Football, but yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. Thank you. He he might start. He wrote football. I misread. (laughs) I was in the process of sending out a tweet. That had basketball in it.
2: I I think there's some, yeah, I got one. Saban News trumps the basketball vols not showing up. I personally think the Saban News is bigger.
0: Myself. Which I'm glad that means that you think Tennessee basketball is bigger. I I like it when I disagree with people. But I do think that the, the Saban News is probably bigger, but I also think there's a lot more to chew there, so I have no issue starting with Tennessee basketball because it happened later. And, you know, I think... They were connected in the wave of Tennessee fans because you were riding high, like, "Hey, Nick Saban's gone. Nick Saban retired. Then ah, can we can we get the cherry on top of the Sunday? Can we get a basketball win on top of it? Nope, nope, you can't.
2: You can't." I, I would say I, I think that's the other thing too is the we don't know what's going to be on the other side of the Saban news. Although it can't possibly be. Um, you're not going to replace him immediately. You know what I mean? They'll replace him, obviously, but I'm saying in terms of the, the net effect. I, it, but that's the part. I think we have a lot more to tease out with Saban was my point, too. You know, it's like we can recap the basketball game. We could probably spend the rest of the show talking about the what-ifs with Saban.
0: Yeah, apparently the reports are that uh, Alabama wants to have somebody in place within 72 hours, so the clock is ticking. So that should be a, a fast-moving coaching surge, but – As far as Tennessee basketball, I looked at it, I don't want to say as a positive. It's not a positive. It's not a positive to lose. You know, we had talked about how you might need 15 regular season wins to win the SEC. Last night, it's going to really hurt that when it comes to your opportunities to win an outright SEC championship. If that matters to you, then last night was a bad loss. You could choose to look at the positive of... Dalton connect in the second half, rediscovering his his swagger, coming out and scoring what 26 points in the second half and and kind of recreating that magic and maybe putting to to rest any doubt that he had like lost his shot, that he was hurt, that he had been figured out. Or you can look and say, "Hey, it it's 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 2024. We shouldn't still be dealing with Santiago Vescovy and Josiah Jordan James going two for 12 and scoring five points in a big college basketball game. It's 2024. They should either be gone from school or here and and able to go on the road and perform at a high level and, and, and be able to go out and not disappear. And I kind of thought Vescovy especially disappeared.
2: I agree. I think that uh... – you know, Jordan Moore posted an interesting stat this morning, and that was Vescovy last season scored in single digits in 11 games the entire season. So, we're, f- you know, what, 15 games through the season now, and he's already done that nine.
0: Yeah, I was going to say ten times. So, yeah, yeah I
2: mean, like, it feels,
0: it feels like he is just not – ever kind of gotten in the groove of the season. He's shown some flashes, you know, uh, I believe was it the Kansas game that
2: he was so good in.
0: But outside of that, it it feels like.
2: And I I, I was evangelizing on his behalf earlier in the season, and I believed it, where I was like, you know what, he's adjusting. He's become a glue guy, and that's what we need. But I'm not so sure at this point. Now I think it's more he is on the struggle bus a little bit, and I'm not sure if we're going to get through it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I gave, I think a lot of people gave him a pass early in the season because of the, the loss in his family right. and, you know, the travel. And it can't be easy flying internationally and coming back and trying to do school because they do stuff to kind of do school and, and balance just being, you know, a, an early 20s person, an early 20s adult, having to figure life out while also playing basketball and dealing with change there, too, as, you know, the pecking order kind of changed. And, at the time, Jordan Ganey was playing really well, and Don connects, a new big man on campus. So, like, there was uh, an acclimation period that I think a lot of people overlooked. But, yeah, like, we're in game, what did you say, 15, 14? Yeah, 15 through. It, 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 sh- it shouldn't be happening still at this point. And up until last night, it, it felt like, okay, when you're looking at double digit games, he did have double digits against Ole Miss. That's your la- you know, it was the first SEC game. He had double digits against Illinois. Like, okay, that was a big home game. Of course, I told you the Kansas game he played well in. So you're like, okay, at least in a couple of the big games, he balled out. He showed up. But then, yeah, last night, two points. North Carolina, zero points. Both of those disappointing losses and and both of those maybe go differently if, if he plays better.
3: If Santi's getting you eight eight points a game right now, do you wonder if maybe switching up some of the lineups is kind of an option, and maybe going towards a guy like Mayshack, who's shown you a little bit more promise on the offensive end, and is you know just a, just as good of a defender, and probably better.
0: Well, I mean, I think I think you have seen changes to the lineup, Sam, because you, you, you've seen Vescovy only get twenty two minutes. Like, yeah. I mean, he it wasn't the, all those minutes didn't go to Mayshack, I guess, or I mean, I guess he did play eighteen, 18 minutes, but yeah. I don't think it was exactly matched up. I know 22 plus 18 is 40, but I don't think it was exactly either Vescovy's in the game or Mayshack's in the game because I think they run the court together. But you saw Freddie DeLeon get some minutes in the first half, which was a little head-scratching to me. I didn't expect to see the freshman come in and play, although I will say in in his minutes he did create a wide-open three look off of penetration that Tennessee missed. I believe it was Connect that missed the shot, but I might be wrong on that. But I thought that was a head-scratcher. It felt like early in the first half, Barnes was grasping for straws because Tennessee was in such a drought. But, like, to go to a freshman on the road, I'm not blaming Barnes. I'm not questioning him for that decision because, hey, the team wasn't playing well. But my, my bigger issue is you're struggling on the road and you're looking to a freshman to answer the droughts instead of superstar Dalton Connect. Or super seniors and veterans and Josiah Jordan James and Santiago Vescovy, because in the first half, it was really only Zakai Ziegler who was ready to play. Like, it was pretty much just him he was he was trying his best to keep you in the game, and everyone else was kind of letting him down
2: yeah, um, and the whole topic came to mind for me again. I know it's been a hot topic of discussion, you know, Zakai played. Thirty-seven minutes again. Yeah, no, I mean he uh, he he doesn't come off the court. Yeah, in most games. And we heard from coach he he doesn't want to come off, but I mean that's still it's a lot. I mean, I was like I was like you, John. I was encouraged to see DeLeon come in, but I was wondering what the motivation was. It was like out of the blue, there he is in the first half, and um, that was a little strange. You know, one guy that was unsung too, that just. And it it kind of reminded me, like, he's the guy we usually get these kind of performances on our side from Josiah, was DJ Jeffries Mm -hmm. from Mississippi State. I mean, the announcers were talking about it, too. He really was arguably as valuable to them as Tolu Smith or Josh Hubbard because of his activity. Five steals for him last year. Five steals, key block at one point, um, six boards, played the most minutes for uh, anybody on that team. and and Jan's also adjusted uh Jimmy Bell's one of their big guys that 280 pounds dude he only played 11 minutes and he's usually a starter so it, and I guess maybe it was cuz he was you know feeling more comfortable bringing Tolu Smith in for bigger minutes but um I I I just felt like if we could have gotten a little bit more from the old guard if you will that that would have helped, and I and I also agree with what you said a few minutes ago, John. That this loss, we talked about it yesterday. College basketball, you know, we saw it again last night. Another top five team lost besides Tennessee with Kansas.
0: So now we're up to what four of the five top five teams. Yeah, lost so and, far, it, and,
2: it's, and it's Wednesday, right? And UConn was not it was not easy for them. They were only up five with a you know minute and a half to go against Xavier. Um, number eleven Marquette lost. I mean, it's there's just teams are you know gonna be getting beaten in the sec to your point we talked with will yesterday talked about is it going to be 14 or 15 wins to win the sec conference title um that's a tough loss in that regard but that's not uh, we shouldn't be you know running for the exits for sure
0: no but i also don't want to do like hey nothing to worry about because i mean i I do think like it's You can keep perspective of a long season and, like, hey, it's college basketball. Hey, it's on the road. It was a coin flip game. The point spread was one or two points. But I do think it was a wasted opportunity. And I do think that, like, there are red flags here on this team that showed up at times, in the first half especially, 22 points. But still, like, it feels like every time Tennessee loses in March or loses a big game, you can look at one of your main contributors just kind of no-showing, and you had both of them. I don't want to say Josiah no-showed because he just didn't hit shots. Like, he he was still able to play solid defense, rebound, assist. He was able to do that. And Vescovy was able to, I thought, play really good defense in the second half. You know, you talk about the full-court pressure. I do think Vescovy was a big part of that. Like, whenever it was kind of Zakai, Vescovy, and Meshach in the game, all three hounding the ball, Tennessee's energy picked up. So, like, I – when I say no show, I really just mean scoring wise. And, and ultimately that's how you win games is by putting the ball in the basket. So like it is still the most important thing. The other the, the, Those two did things on the courts that contributed, but also they didn't do what Tennessee needed to do, which was help in the scoring, because you look at the box score, like Dalton Connect 28 points, Zakai had 26, Jonas gave you nine no one else gave you more than four. Yeah, Your other two starters scored five combined points. Your bench, you had one guy off the bench score four points, which means, like, hey, I love Shack, but, hey, y- y- you got to contribute at least five or six points there, Jemai. You know, like, you-, you play great defense, I get that, and you're the energy guy, but, like, you-, you still have to be able to score four or five points for you.
2: So I have a question. Does this make – we talked yesterday about – Mississippi State and Georgia; these are big games. Does Georgia become almost a must-win at this point? Um, I'd say, I'd say yes. Uh, I know they've won ten in a row. They beat Arkansas last night, but uh, we definitely have to come out of this weekend one and one.
0: Obviously, you can't call it a literal must-win. No. You know, for, so for that, I'll push back and say no, not a must-win. But I do think, like, hey man, how bad are the vibes going to be if Tennessee does lose? to Georgia on Saturday and loses to Mike White. And people aren't going to care about the win streak. It's just, they're just going to look and see Mike White and see Georgia basketball and think, okay, those are two things that Tennessee should be able to beat if this team is actually as good as everybody's telling you it is. Because I understand frustration from fans that are like, every year, or at least you know in the past couple of years, it's felt like the same song and dance of like, the media tells you Tennessee basketball is great, the metrics tell you Tennessee basketball is great, yet it's not always a great experience watching, right? It's, sometimes it's ugly. Like, in the first half, it was dreadful. And then, of course, you know, you make the comeback, but you come up short. But there's a lot of the people in the fan base that are kind of tired of moral victories. That's why I'm saying, like, I don't want to panic about the loss, but also don't want to say, hey, it's okay, everything's fine. You you, comp- you comp- uh, combine that and you compound it with a loss to Georgia, on Saturday, and yeah, you'll have a lot of people that are same old Tennessee, same old Rick Barnes, gonna, you know, win 25 games, gonna lose when it matters, can't win the big one, not gonna win an SEC championship. You can win a bunch of games, but we're not getting any hardware, we're not adding any numbers to the banner. If you lose Georgia, you'll have that come out for sure. So it is a must win for the vibes. I'll, I'll agree with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's not like our season's lost. I, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, That'll all the, those drum beats come quick, man when when you, when you have a when you have one loss, it comes quick and then it'll start to really accelerate if we lose two in a row.
0: Really thought Tennessee was going to steal that one last night? I did too. Really thought they were going to pull it out. Georgia may be on a long win streak, but Georgia's whereas Mississippi State was a top 30 team, Georgia's still down like in the 70s. Right. So like Tennessee should go into that game, I'd imagine six, seven-point favorites, somewhere around there at at least. I mean, it's on the road, so, you know, of course, you got to take that into account. But I still think Tennessee will be six, six six-and-a-half-point favorites. So that's not a coin flip. That is one you need to win. And quite frankly, if you lose that, I don't think there's any silver linings that you could find. You know what I'm talking about? We, we we lost today. We lost last night. You come in, hey, you know, connect, and hey, the pressure. Hey, you know, you can still take some positives. You lose to Georgia. None of that matters. It's just like, hey, that's a terrible loss. Like that. That's bad. There's no. Well, it's okay. It was a coin flip. Hey, it's okay. You did some good things. No, it's bad. It's bad.
2: Yeah. Best best way for uh, everybody to get back on the good foot here is Tennessee goes in there and rolls, and and it's very that's very uh, possible. It it absolutely could happen. So. Um, just got to believe that number 85 in the
0: net ranking for Georgia. So yeah, that's a, it's quad two. So you need to go in there and take advantage of that and take, uh, get at least avoid a bad loss. Let's go to break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Nick Saban. He has decided to call it quits. We will celebrate. It's the morning show here on fan run radio. Back in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios, I enjoyed some of the White Claw Premium Vodka last night. Whenever the news of Nick Saban went official, I had me a little toast. I had me a little toast. Before we switch to there, I'll read a couple of uh, thoughts from the listeners. Twitter writes him: Barnes has to get Freddie and JT more minutes. Unwise to have ZZ playing 37, so they kind of agree with you. And Jonas isn't the answer. He's physically weak. His gamers still miss the exception. And Ganey shouldn't see the floor. Which I mean, I'm not gonna say Jonas isn't the answer. Although Jonas, I mean, has has gotten beaten by four bigs with a pulse. I mean, the, the Wisconsin guy Will said was pretty good, and Tennessee, you know, Jonas was able to you know whatever play, go up against him, and Tennessee was able to win. But since then, Tennessee 0 and 4 against against good bigs, and Tolu Smith got the best of him last night. The gaining point, though, to me, I mean, that that's that's maybe the most or maybe the most glaring thing, the biggest takeaway from the game is like the, that guy has – he's morphed into this year's version of Tyreek Key where he comes in on fire, looks like, okay, maybe Tennessee finally found somebody that could be this really streaky shooter or this really good knockdown shooter. And I guess maybe he has turned into just the streaky shooter and you're on the bad side of the streak now. But he looked lost when he was in the game last night, not to pile on him, but 0 for 5, threw up a couple of air balls, and, and just wasn't good, Bob.
2: Yeah, we uh... – didn't feel it feels like an adventure when he's even got his hands on the ball just ball handling i I saw it at the old miss game saw it last night on tv um it you know it's like he's he's not sure of of his handle at the moment not just shooting just taking care of the ball period
0: there was one fast break where he had the ball that he kinda bobbled. He did end up getting it out for an open shot or at least uh maybe a hockey assist where it got passed. I can't remember, but I remember him going he- full head of steam to the rim and kinda bobbling it and almost losing it. And I was like, Man, he is he is in his head. Yeah. He is in his head and that's Absolutely. Uh, it's tough to get out of it when you get there, but you know, I kinda said it a couple weeks ago, but it feels like you're seeing why he was at S C upstate. You know what I mean? Like you see why He was at that level, and I do think when he hits shots, he can still bring something to Tennessee, and I do still think he's a smart player, and it's not like he's out there making too bad of mistakes, but he's just not giving you much, and and Tennessee needs him to at least hit a couple shots.
2: Yeah, uh, I've always been a proponent, I've said it before about, you know, the shooter shoot, the way you get out of a slump is to keep shooting. But <laughs> I don't know, after these last couple of games, and I was saying that in defense of Ganey, now I'm kind of like, oh, man, I, I, if you don't, if he doesn't get that many minutes, that doesn't break my heart at the moment. But we need him. We really do. It goes back to what I said about Meshack. But, like, I'm not asking either one of those for much
0: offensively. But if you're going to play a combined 27 minutes and you're going to play nine minutes and 18, like, you got to chip in five. Just, just yeah. score five. Or at least if you're gaining, like, a couple assists, maybe? The only thing he registered on the stat was a turnover and one steal. Like, it, he didn't give you an assist. He didn't give you a rebound. I don't want to say was that they're getting cardio because he was shooting the ball, but he wasn't putting anything on the on the scoreboard for you. But we'll, we'll circle back around to Tennessee basketball in hour two. Let's get to Nick Saban, who announced and kind of shocked everyone when it kind of came out from Chris Lowe, which, by the way, before we dive into it, can someone at ESPN get Chris Lowe a verified check? <laughs> How the hell does the man who breaks the biggest <laughs> college football story of the last decade not have a blue check? Because when I saw it, I was like, wait a second. Is that is that the real Chris Lowe? I actually got a text from Jordan DeJani, who had been on the show with us. We were texting, and he was like, hey, Saban just retired. I was like, what? And I go to my phone, and I see Chris Lowe. I was like, is that real? And I click. like yeah. 60,000 followers? Okay, maybe. And, uh Get him a check, ESPN. Get him a blue check. Chris Lowe reported, broke the news. Nick Saban hangs it up, retires at the age of 72. What was your initial takeaway? Mine was just joy.
2: Yeah. I was like, thank you. Mine was more shock at, at I, because we've. I was one to think that when the college football playoff field was put together and they were one of the four teams – I figured if Alabama happened to win that national championship, that that was my belief then. I was like, then Saban's done. I really believe it. For some of the reasons we just talked about yesterday with coaching in general, when we were kind of evaluating Harbaugh's status of, you know, is the college football game starting to gravitate more towards what's going on with college basketball, where the headache is not worth it for some of these longstanding legendary coaches? Um so I, I really thought that Saban's time was coming for sure. I just didn't expect it to come. He's so competitive. I figured he would look at it as he's got unfinished business. You know, I I always pictured him as someone that was going to go out on top. All of that to say, I am uh, excited to hear this news because it it truly levels the playing field quite a bit. I think no matter who they put in to replace him.
0: Yeah, I mean it feels like the. The worst of Alabama, or I guess I should say the best of Alabama, the worst for everyone else is, is over. Like Alabama maybe doesn't necessarily like go into the pits and doesn't wander through the desert like Tennessee, but they become, in my opinion, just another program that kind of gets pushed to the back or pushed to the, the second tier, I should say, where you're eight, nine, trying to get to ten wins, but like they're, they're no longer on par there with Georgia. They're no longer somebody, in my opinion, to be afraid of. Sam... How did you take the news whenever you saw Nick Saban hanging it up because I imagine your entire college football life has been Nick Saban in Alabama.
3: Yeah, it has. I was I was kind of right there with you, Bob. I was shocked that a guy like Nick Saban, someone that competitive and of that pedigree just kind of didn't try to go out on top and, you know, especially getting to the to the college football playoff. I feel like he was, you know, he's right there. He's still got a very talented team. I would have figured that he would you know, try to try to ride off into the sunset with a championship. But yeah, I mean, it's Nick Saban has been the guy that I've seen coach Alabama my entire life. And it's going to be weird. It's kind of, I was texting a lot with my friends last night. It's just kind of a lot of coaches that are, you know, it's a, it's a, the first time that a big chapter
2: of like our, my sports life is kind of closing and seeing a lot of coaches exit. Yeah. And I also, I sit here and I think about it and maybe he looked at it as Think about where Alabama was at the beginning of the season and where they ended up. Maybe he looked at it. We might have it all wrong. In other words, he might look at it and be like, "Man, that's the best coaching job I can do." You know, getting that team to that started out, you know, by Alabama standards, a little suspect, and got us, you know, one win away from playing for another national championship. I don't know. It's uh, it, it was a little puzzling. I, I I really expected him to go out with bigger you know, something bigger happening, but didn't play that way.
0: It is funny, and I don't disagree, that everyone talks about how great of a coaching job Nick Saban had, and like, wow, he, he pulled him up by the bootstraps. But I remember before the year, they were saying this is the most talented roster in, like, the recruiting era's history. Like, they were talking about how many five-stars and, and blue-chippers and how it was the best, you know, team had ever assembled talent-wise. But he had to drag them, maybe because of the quarterback, you know, maybe it's not that dissimilar from what was happening here in yeah. Knoxville, but, like, yeah. he was able to overcome and get them there, but You hope that, you know, it's not true. You hope it's just fodder, but I have seen in some circles where they're kind of saying that maybe Miss Terry is not doing well health-wise, and that's kind of what led to Nick Saban's decision because when the news came out, I turned on Feinbaum. The only time I watch fine is when something <laughs> bad happens to Alabama, so I was like, okay, let's see here. You know, after Tennessee beat Alabama two years ago, I was like, okay, time to watch some Bomb and see what their callers are saying. And Saban retired. I turned on Bomb, and they had Chris Lowe on, and he was just saying that. For Saban, it's very important to like be able to enjoy life and not basically coach football up until he dies. Is what Chris Lowe was saying it was like you know he wants to have some type of of life outside of football and be able to balance that and enjoy his last years and and then the message board stuff kind of came out from from different places saying that they're hearing that you know his wife isn't doing well so maybe that's connected because the other report and I heard Bruce Feldman talking about it this morning on a podcast I was listening to on the way to work but. You know, he was saying and confirming the reports that Nick Saban was interviewing wide receiver coaches just on, you know, earlier this week on Monday or Tuesday was like interviewing, inter- you know, wide receiver coaches and was not planning on stepping away, was planning on still being here. So, like, it was kind of abrupt in that way and kind of surprising to everyone in that way just because, again, he was trying to fill out a staff.
3: He feels like kind of just this immortal coach that's never gonna, you know, come off the sidelines of Alabama. But like you do have to recognize he's also seventy two, you know? Yeah. Like he's getting up there. But and...
0: but also, you know, you talk about this year and you talk about being immortal. I had a different feel all year. Like this year I, I believe was the first time it ever clicked in my mind. Maybe it was the losing, maybe it was the fact they were struggling with South Florida, but like he it was the first time I felt like he looked old and unhappy. Mm-hmm. Like he just he just looked like he was over it, and he just looked like he had – I don't want to say lost it, but just looked like an old man. I mean, he is an old man. I'm not age-shaming, but, like, he looked – he did not look like the same guy that had been dominating college football. And I did think that earlier in the year, the first time I – you know, the first times you saw him play – or coach this year.
2: Yeah, it's – uh, it's still surreal, honestly. i uh, I'm still looking. I'm just sitting here looking at it on my computer screen, and it's like – I don't know. We knew it was going to happen at some point, but now it's happened. And um, it is interesting seeing how many people are so happy about it. And not just, not just in East Tennessee. Um, I have friends up in the Midwest everywhere that are like, you know, this is uh, you know kind of like ding dong, the witch is dead. You know, it's, it's so it's, it's rare that this happens. And to your point, John, and I know we'll dig into that later, but it's rare that that happens, and then in less than, way less than twenty-four hours, Belichick is apparently on his way out too. It's crazy.
0: Now I do think Belichick will still coach and find a different job. Where Saban said, "Hey, I'm done." But yeah. to your point, I mean, yeah, everyone's celebrating. He kicked everyone's ass. Like yeah. it's the ultimate compliment. He kicked everyone's ass. Yeah. Like every fan base, kind of the same thing. When Tom Brady was like, "Okay, I'm out. I'm done." I'll quit playing football, I'll quit being in the Super Bowl, and I'll quit doing that and hogging all the attention. Like, that was a testament to Tom Brady kicking everyone's ass. So did Nick Saban. I mean, you are losing a couple goats. Like, I mean, it is sad, like, when you see, like, we talked about the golden era that we were in with sports, with all the greatest. You know, we talked about Tiger, we talked about Serena, and, and Messi, and LeBron, and Brady, like... Saban was up there, too, man. Saban was a part of that, and now he's gone. You know, add him to Coach K, he was gone, and, like, you're in a different era now. And that was, it was a little bit sad in that regard.
2: His statistics, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen them, but I'm going to rattle a few off. They're crazy. Um, seven-time national champion, uh, six of them were at Alabama, won 10-plus games and finished in the top 10 each of the last 16 seasons, eight college football appearances in the 10-year history of the college football playoff, coached four Heisman winners, 104 career wins over ranked AP Top 25 opponents. That's the most ever by far. Nobody's close to him. And then this is the one that blew me away. Every player who has signed with the Tide under Saban and played full four years there has won a national title.
0: And it all came to a crashing end with Jalen Milrow running into the <laughs> running yeah. into Michigan's defensive line on fourth and goal from like the five yard line. He, Saban looked at that and said, "Really, this is how it's going to end? All right, that's fine. I'm not. I'm not doing another year of that."
2: <laughs> that's a good point.
0: He looked at that and said, I, we, "That was our play, Tommy Reese, a quarterback power from the five yard line when they know that he can't throw."
3: Tommy Reese has got to be feeling feeling tough this morning. You know, he gets brought into Alabama, he becomes <laughs> Saban's new assistant, and then Kevin Steele and Saban are both gone now.
0: That's a, that's a good point. And, you know, that that was a part of why you felt like it was slipping for Alabama, right? Is like the coordinators had just fallen off, mm-hmm. and he couldn't keep the coordinators anymore, and he couldn't he couldn't go out and find the next stars. It was like, hey, we're gonna go get Tommy Reese, who Notre Dame fans were kind of like, hey. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know, we appreciate that. You know, it wasn't like, wasn't like Notre Dame was scoring a bunch of points or running good offense, so thank you for taking our guy. But, yeah, I mean, now Tommy Reese, who was at one point, like, on a, on a fast track to being a head coach, now he is kind of going to be maybe without a job, especially not a coordinating job, unless, I mean, unless the dominoes start falling. But you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening. And I don't see a what, – whatever coach they do hire, I don't see them keeping him because it's going to be almost assuredly a powerful coach, a respected coach that's going to want to come in and bring his own guys in and do all that. So, yeah, Tommy Reese took a a gamble with Nick Saban, and his career maybe ends with Jalen Milrow (laughs) power run from the five-yard line on fourth and goal.
2: I think it's interesting, too, when you just talk about who comes in, and we could spend a lot of time talking about this. We probably will, is – yeah, uh, you know, everybody talks about some of the usual suspects—the big names, Smart, Lanning, all these others. But it's like, do you really want to do that? You know, just given who you're following. I the the closest thing I can uh, associate this with is—and this is way back when you guys weren't even around for—but who replaced John Wooden at UCLA, and nobody was good enough for for years. I mean, it, because you're replacing a legend. Maybe a little of that happened with Pat Summit here, you know, uh, with the Lady Vols. But I I just think that if you're somebody who's got a program humming already, why would you – I don't know if there's enough money to do this. It's funny, but,
0: yeah, there's probably a lot of Lady Vol
2: fans that would kill to get back to the Elite Eight. (laughs) That were like, hey,
0: that's not good enough, Holly. Yeah. So, yeah, you're not not wrong. But, yeah, you always hear the phrase, you don't want to be the guy after the guy. Yeah. And, like, now multiply that by 100 because you're the guy after the guy. That was the greatest coach in modern college football history. Like, he was the the standard. He was someone who created just unrealistic expectations. I mean, I know Alabama already had them. Yeah. I know Alabama already had those expectations, and, like, they've had some infighting. And, like, they, they've been a little bit of a train wreck throughout their history, right, in terms of trying to decide who they're going to have to be their coach and how they're going to treat him. Is it good enough? Do, what do you have to do? You have to come here and win ten games a year and blah blah blah. But like, Saban was able to meet those expectations and exceed them.
2: Imagine being the guy to follow that. Uh, yeah, it, you know, anybody that says Kirby Smart, if I'm Kirby Smart, it might be like, no, I'm I'm the new Saban, I'm the new Alabama. You know, at Georgia, he doesn't have to go anywhere.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to look at the flip the the flip side, the the cons to this is maybe, maybe now there is no uh, real competition to. to Georgia anymore, and that maybe, or maybe Texas becomes the new Alabama, and you know, like those two just kind of suckle all of the five stars and all of the elite talent, like, they just kind of get them and get even better. You hope that that kind of gets spread out, and you hope Tennessee can call some of those Alabama players who have 30 days of transfer and like, hey, you know, we need some offensive linemen, we need this and this, come up here, like, you hope that it kind of redistributes it to, to Tennessee and other teams, but That was in my mind that, yeah, maybe this just makes Kirby Smart more powerful in Georgia and then Texas, who both, ironically enough, are coached by Alabama guys, or at least guys with Alabama ties and Nick Saban ties. Maybe they just kind of reap the benefits of that because they're both already in the top four heading into next year in terms of preseason rankings. But Alabama and Nick Saban, or maybe Alabama, was a victim of Nick Saban's success because It's not like they have a a, a pipeline they can easily tap into for a successor because, like, he's been so good that his two best assistants, again, are coaching Texas and Georgia, and if I'm at Texas, unless I just really, really hate the boosters, I'm not leaving. It's not like Texas is going to get outbid, and if I'm Kirby Smart and I'm at my alma mater, and, of course, I've won two national championships and I get to recruit Atlanta, I'm not leaving. That's not even an option, so, like, I don't know who they go to unless it's like, hey, Dan Lanning was a grad assistant here one time. He's coaching the SEC. Bring him back. We're like, hey, Lane Kiffin. You know, we did kind of fire him before the championship game that time. We did run him out and say, hey, like, we just want you to leave during the biggest game of the year. We're just going to – we're good. Somebody else can call the plays. Just leave. But we're going to bring him back now to be the head coach because I found that to be a little far-fetched. So, like, then you're like, hey, what about Dabo? Okay. A Dabo star is not near as bright as it was, you know, four years ago. Right. So now if you're Alabama, you're like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? We're going to call Dan Lanning, sure. But what do we do if he says no? And that's going to be the most fascinating thing, and I really, really hope he says no. But from a Tennessee fan perspective, I respect Dan Lanning, but he's not Nick Saban. So, like, it's still going to be a downgrade, which is what we're talking about. And if you're him and you've got a pretty good thing going into Oregon, kind of a badass up there and you're kind of Phil Knight's right-hand man and you're getting ready to go to the Big Ten and Oregon's got a bunch of money, do you leave that situation to come somewhere where 10-2 and two is not going to be good enough, 9-3 and three is not going to be good enough? That's the question people are going to have to ask and answer. Chris Wright said, Saban has a chance to save college football by making a statement about NIL and transfers. It can't be enjoyable for these coaches because it's now year-round job and re-recruiting your own kids. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about the calendar, and, you know, the reason Harbaugh probably wants to go to the NFL is it is year-round. It is stressful. It is kind of stupid at this point. I don't know if Saban are tiring and saying that can change anything, because it's not like Coach K complaining about it did anything in college basketball. It's just the way it is now. I mean, Saban can make that statement, but it's not going to do anything. It's not going to do anything. Another Twitter writes in, they do already have a former SEC head coach on staff, and it's... Derek Dooley eating pizza sad under the New England Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh... – Other people pointing out that we maybe should have seen this coming as soon as he bought his big-ass beach home on his own island.
3: Yeah. I saw the interaction, too, with uh, Kirby at the SEC Championship game, too. I re that little mic'd-up moment, and Kirby felt like – you could kind of see it in Kirby's eyes almost, that he was, like, soaking it in, that this was his last time coaching against Nick Saban.
0: It shouldn't be surprising. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 72 years old. Like It, it <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be surprising. I mean, I, I've been having conversations on the radio, you know, since 2015 about, you know, he's probably got five more years, six more years, seven, definitely not ten. That would have been ten years ago. So, like, it, it shouldn't be surprising that a 72-year-old man who has made a lot, a lot of money and has won a lot and has proven everything he needs to prove, other than the fact he can win a national championship with Jalen Milro, who, you know, ended— in Nick Saban's career, by running into the line on a quarterback power on fourth down, just want to point that out again. Nick Saban has nothing to prove, so like I I don't. We shouldn't be surprised.
2: And I I think he can still scratch an itch too, um, because he's going to have options to do television. Clearly, you yeah. know, and he's good at it. Quite honestly, he'll uh, he'll be very very good at that. It's uh, we're I don't think we're done seeing him, but um, it'll be in a much different capacity, obviously.
0: All right, let's end hour 1 by going to the phone lines. We got Roberto on the line. Good morning, Roberto.
1: John, very long time no talkie, my friend. How are you? Other
0: than the time I saw you up out at SM Athletics, it has been a long time. Hope you're well, my brother.
1: Yeah, my uh my life is great, actually. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's good. it was good to see you that day too, looking all slick in your uh in your uh was it your paper towel t-shirt or whatever? That you wasn't what I was all all right,
0: Let's Let's go. What's the phone call?
1: <laughs> uh, Nick Saban, sadly, uh, actually, uh, the rumor is, uh, I don't know if you read the River mill but the rumor is his wife is very ill. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, that's yeah. kind gotta, of sad, I, I, Yeah,
0: I said that maybe at the beginning of the segment when Bob was talking about how surprised he was. or That's message board fodder. And it does make sense, obviously. and Chris Lowe was on Feinbaum you know, making the point that Sabin really wants to enjoy his final years and wasn't the guy that <laughs> wanted to coach until he died and wanted to be able to enjoy you know the end. and that does kind of connect the dots there. I really hope that's not the the case though, obviously
1: well, also, it could be that he finally realized that his dad loves him and is proud of him. could be that um, uh, or. <laughs> or it could be that he realized this is the best he could possibly coach. A team That was an eight and four, nine and three type football team. And he got them into the national semifinals. That was a hell of a coaching job this year. I do not look, it's like speaking ill of the dead. I'm not going to do that. He's the greatest football coach that's ever lived in the college ranks period. Um, but, you know, for me, uh, as a fan of the game, I, I felt, uh, I mean, I was elated as a Tennessee fan. I, I kept screaming the evil empire is over, the, the, the ding-dong, the witch is dead type stuff. But also, it's kind of an end of an era. And then you hear Belichick leaving, or they're firing him today. You, I mean, I think you guys have already touched on that, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it came out basically right when we were getting into the show talking about Saban leaving. It was breaking news that now the the NFL greatest of the generation is now leaving his home as well. So, yeah, kind of crazy because those two have been connected Throughout their careers, and they're both kind Yeah, throughout of their careers. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, it's just crazy to me, but I, I'll, I'll try to be more brief. But basically, at the end of the day, um, I think it's ultimately good for college football. The Nick statement is gone because it's going to allow these younger guys, you know, I hate Kirby, but it's going to allow them to be better and, and kind of rise up and take over as a new generation. Plus, I think he was a little sick of the, the NIL stuff already because, frankly, he's been running NIL down there since he got there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. He, they set the precedent for how to actually build. You know, a collective. They were just doing it under the table, and then when it became over the table, they couldn't figure out how, how to work the top of the table. You know what I mean? Plus, yeah. important um, to
0: note that uh, Dodge got rid of the Dodge Chargers. They discontinued it, and it all kind of came crashing
1: down. <laughs> um, Have you ever seen that picture in Tuscaloosa? That that Dodge dealership, uh, the day it was like maybe five or six years ago, and there were no Chargers and Challengers on the lot the day after National Signing Day. Have you ever seen that?
2: Uh, Yes, we have. Hey, Roberto, before we bounce uh, for top of the hour, real quick, one thing too that you just touched on it. We've been talking about it too. We talked about it yesterday. What maybe we're seeing a trend with what we've seen with college basketball coaches. Kind of the old mm-hmm. guard. That's kind of like I've had enough of this. Wright. Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe we, you know, between Saban and then what could be inevitable with Harbaugh, it's like you know, it may be we may be seeing that shift in college football too.
1: No doubt, I hundred percent agree, and 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 maybe that's not a bad thing, um, but I hope our coach and our staff can figure it out. Uh, We're all on herd watch, I guess, uh, today. That would be really sweet. Uh, If we can get two OTs uh, this weekend, man, what what a weekend for the Vols. Um, Yeah, and and as far as basketball last night, everybody in the wide world was so upset after that game, and I'm like, dude, it's just not a bad loss. Now, Georgia, you lose Georgia, you'll have my eyebrows up, right? But last night, I mean, Chris Jans is a hell of a basketball coach. They They are an NCAA tournament team. You went on the road. You hung tough. You played terrible in the first half, and you had a chance to win it. Dalton Connect seems like he the light finally came back on for him. If that's true and Connect can play like that or some semblance of that for the rest of the season, I feel really, really good about Tennessee's chances of making a deep run. Um, Appreciate that, the call, because the, the hour. Be-
0: yep, got to go, brother. Appreciate it. We're late for the end of the hour. Send us the break, Sam. It's talk, it is uh, not talk sports. It is the Fan Run Radio morning show right here on Fan Run Radio. Hey, guys.